All right, here in James chapter 4, we are going to look at this morning a glorious drawing. Now, how many of you would raise your hand this morning and say you are good at drawing? Drawing pictures or something like that. Some of you would say, yeah, maybe a little bit. I am not one of those um, who are great at drawing, but many times when we hear the word to draw or drawing, we're thinking of something like that, right? You're taking a pencil uh, and you're drawing a picture. And there have been some cool drawings throughout the years, um, and some drawings just leave you amazed. And you're kind of staring at the picture like, did someone actually draw that, or is it actually a picture that they took? And some drawings are really that well done. But that is one of the ways we look at the word drawing, but really the, the root of the word drawing is the word draw. And if you were to look in the dictionary, the definition that you would find for the word draw or to draw is to cause movement towards something. And that's what James is talking about in chapter 4 when he says, draw nigh to God. This is something that in our Christian walk should be a daily occurrence, shouldn't it? a drawing closer to our God. And so this morning and this evening, we are going to look at what James says to a body of, to a body of believers, but also to the individual Christians about how we as a church can draw closer to God and we as an individual can draw closer to God as well. A little bit of background here. The book of James, as you might have guessed it, was written by James. And now you have to figure out which James because there's several a couple of James mentioned in the New Testament. And for different reasons, one of them being the timing the book was written or believed to be written, this is very well believed to be the brother of Jesus. Now this is unique for a certain reason. In John chapter 7 and verses 2 through 5, you see James, the brother of Jesus, not drawing nigh to Jesus. In fact, he says, why don't you give up this charade? You're not the Messiah. And he doesn't believe. He is, he is Christ's earthly brother, uh, the brother right below Jesus. And during Christ's earthly ministry, James did not believe that his brother Jesus was the Son of God, was the Messiah. And he rejected Christ until the moment where Christ was crucified. And you see something changed in James, the brother of Jesus, at that moment. James begins drawing closer to his God. Not just drawing closer to his earthly brother who was Jesus, but drawing closer to his creator. It's unique because this James is the James that we, when, when we read about um, when Christ, after Christ's ascension, we see that he was in the upper chamber with the apostles. Right after Christ's crucifixion and ascension, James is up there with the men and the women praying um, before Pentecost. And James is at that instance. James is also uh, the leader or pastor of the church in Jerusalem eventually, um, which you could almost make the argument might have been one of the larger churches at that time because it was in Jerusalem where it all kind of started. And during the Jerusalem Council, if you remember, the Jew Jerusalem Council had to do with Jews saying that the Gentiles had to do Jewish laws like circumstances to actually become a Christian, things like that. And that was a big discussion. And at the end of the Jerusalem Council, you know who it is that gives the final word? It's James, the brother 
of Jesus. So this is the author here, and you can kind of get that as you read through the letter and also see some of the backgrounds of the book. And James spent the second part of his life drawing nigh to his God and helping a church body draw to Christ as well. That's who this man is that wrote. Now, obviously, James here is writing, and he says to the 12 tribes which are scattered, um, and we're going to see a little bit of what that means here in a second, but the book of James is from God to us this morning and to us in our lifetime. And to understand the book of James, we have to understand that this is not a, like a letter written to one, a church body, a single church body like many of Paul's letters are. It's not a book of prophecy like some of the Old Testament books, but rather it's more of a sermon whose audience or whose, whose readers reaches every follower of Christ. And his theme, James' theme, seems to be um, what many call would be worldly wisdom and godly wisdom, but really you could sum it up and just say James' theme is godliness. James goes through several different things, some practical things for life, how to use your tongue, how to go through trials, and he talks about how to live godly through those situations with certain things in your life, and that's really his theme throughout the book. And so James addresses topics and tells us the godly way to, to handle and respond to certain things and clear truths that happen for godliness to take place. Now, the book of James is unique because it's very similar to the book of Proverbs in the Old Testament, where you can just kind of start reading and get practical nuggets out of every verse and start applying them to your life. And it's, very, it's a very practical book. Another unique thing about James is he seems to be a little harsh at times. He is a very strong, he, he writes very strongly and authoritatively with these truths. And I think part of that has to do with how James, for a good part of his life, rejected the Christ who was right in front of him and then realized who the Messiah was and started to draw closer to his God. And I think that is why it is just spilling out of his life the strong language that he uses and um, everything that he says here. So we skip the first three chapters of this book, which isn't a great thing to do, but hopefully we can fill you in as we go. And we get to chapter 4, which is our text this morning and this evening. And now this morning, we're going to talk about this, the first part in drawing closer to God. Unfortunately, I think today in Christianity, the process of drawing closer to God is a forgotten process. I think that many Christians, many young Christians, even elderly Christians, have never really experienced true, close, a true close walk with God. You know, today when we say that we walk with Christ, that we have a personal relationship with Christ, many Christians might say, well, that's something we say. I've never really experienced that. You know, I, I have these people around me that, that look like something's happening in their life, they say their, their walk with Christ is growing, and you can tell they are joyful about it and they are excited about it, but to me, that just seems like something that Christians say. And unfortunately, that happens with Christians today because this drawing close process isn't taking place. And this morning, we're going to look at what James says about the first part of that. He says, or he talks about the big issues that keep the body of Christ and the individual believer from drawing closer to God. And that's what this morning we're going to look at. Big issues that keep the body of Christ and the individual believer from drawing closer to God. James addresses several things here that hinder us from having the relationship with Christ that he desires us to have. Let's see if I can get these slides working for you. 
All right. Well, we will we'll see if those get working here eventually. The first one is, the first thing that James addresses here is in verse 1. He says, From whence come wars and fightings among you? So the first thing, the first big issue that will keep a body of Christ and an individual from drawing closer to God is what James calls wars here. It's only fitting that James starts with this in chapter 4 because if you remember, the root of many of these wars James just addressed in chapter 3. He talked about the tongue and how it's a fire, a world of iniquity. And so it almost is just going right along with the train of thought here. And so it goes right along. And when I think of war, I think of the world wars, right? World War I, World War II. And I remember growing up in school, reading about wars um, and the casualties that wars would have. You know, nations battling against other nations. And through the years, the strategy and weaponry has only improved and really become more dangerous when it comes to wars. Now, through history, there have been some who have not taken war cautiously, like Alexander the Great or Nero or Napoleon, who seemed to just want to war and conquer and conquer all these lands. And they didn't take the casualties very seriously, right? They just kind of plunged through with jumping into wars and battles without thinking of the casualties. Have you ever heard of the War of the Whiskers or the War of the Oaken Bucket? I had never heard of those wars before, but those are actual wars that you can read about online that actually happen. There's also another one called the War of Jenkins' Ear. It's a little bit more familiar. This war took place between Britain and Spain in 1739 and 1748 and was named this by a British historian because during the war, Robert Jenkins, a captain of a British merchant ship, had his ear severed in the war, and so the war was named War of Jenkins' Ear. All right, so wars are something that we all, when we think about the word, we're thinking about nations rising against nations, but one of the things you have to look at when you look at wars are the casualties. I mean, there have been wars that have cost thousands and thousands of people's lives. There have been wars for our freedom here in this nation that have cost lives. And there are casualties, and that is why, for the most part, the United States of America is cautious when we go into wars. We're not just going out and conquering and starting wars. We're cautious because of the casualties. Now, when James here is talking about wars, I think there's a little bit, it's obvious here he's not talking about a nation rising against a nation, but they are very similar here. So, So you see, when James talks about wars, he's talking about... Um, wars between believers. Wars between believers. So what is the root of wars or fighting between believers? That's the first thing that James deals with here in the first three verses. He's talking about what's at the root of believers fighting with each other. Unfortunately, the same is true for our churches when it comes to wars. There are casualties, and we're going to learn about that. James talks about that. You see, James is not talking about wars between nations. He's talking about wars between believers. And we see that from the phrase there in verse 1, among you. He's talking to believers. Every scholar agrees that James is speaking about wars that go on between someone who proclaims to be a Christian 
and another believer or multiple believers. And many times these wars cause more Christians to jump on board and jump on either side. This continues James' idea from chapter 3 like we saw. And it seems that these early Christians were having fights among them from some Christians wanting to be teachers that we saw in chapter 3 as well. Um, Some just not using their words wisely. Some thinking their ideas were right. And James deals with some of those things in the first three verses and then says here in chapter 4 that the root of these wars is selfish ambition. That's what James says. He, He uses the word lust. He says selfish ambition is what start what starts and keeps wars going on in the church. James tells us in verse 1 there were these wars began because they come they not hence even of your own lusts. They start with a focus on self. Every war in the church is started and fed because of selfish ambition by one or others and kept by one or others. The essence of all sin is selfishness, is it not? Outward war always stems from an inward war that you are failing. Think about that. If there is war going on in the church, that is stemming from an inward war that you are failing. It is a war between self and the Holy Spirit and who you are submitting to. Every outward war, every outward fight in the church stems from an inward war that's being lost by one or more believers. There's a war each day between self and the Holy Spirit, and every outward war starts by losing that. The Greek word here for lust is adenon, which means uh, your pleasures, your passions, or desires to satisfy self. So when, when James is saying here that the root of these wars and fightings is lust, he's saying it's selfishness. It's your own desires, your own passions, your own pleasures, satisfying your own self. That is where they stem, stem from. And we're going to learn that not only are wars stemmed from that, but that is the essence of sin as well as serving self. So let me encourage and challenge you today. Do you realize that one of the biggest ways the church and the individual Christian is taken off track of drawing nigh to God are fights amongst Christians? All throughout the United States, all throughout the world today, Churches just like Eagle Heights Baptist Church, the process of drawing closer to God is stalled and many times reversed because of wars and fights in the church. And I know that um, I am a younger adult this morning, but as I've lived my life as a child, as a teenager, as a college student, as a young adult, I've seen this in multiple different churches. I've been a part of those churches. And seeing Christians warring against other Christians. This is very real today. And they come in different forms as well, don't they? They come through sarcasm. They come through gossip. Petty differences. Fleshly reactions. Instead of spirit reactions. It's the parents who make a negative comment about another parent's child. It's the family who vocally shows a disgust and disinterest in the leadership decisions. It's the reading between the lines of texts or conversations amongst believers. And it all starts from selfishness. You know, most of the fights and wars in the church are usually a misunderstanding from reading between the lines. But it happens today and it's real today. And let me challenge and warn Eagle Heights Baptist Church 
that nothing will get in the way of drawing closer to our God as a body of believers more than fighting with each other. About petty differences and selfish ambition. So let me encourage you today to not be a part of that. I like to challenge Eagle Heights to beware of these things because James is about to talk about the effects that these types of wars can have. And they're very real and they're very somber and solemn. But one of the effects is it stems this process or it stalls this process of growing closer to God. It will quickly pull us as a body from drawing near to our Creator and our Savior. So that is what is at the root of every war, right? Every outward war starts by losing the inward war of submitting to human flesh or submitting to the Holy Spirit. So what are the effects of this war? James goes on to talk about this, and he uses a word that's really harsh. This is where I was talking about James is kind of harsh in his language here. He says the word kill. Ye war, ye fight, ye kill. Well, what is James talking about here? Scholars have really um, tried to wrap their mind around this. Some scholars would say that James is actually talking about the few believers in history that have taken it that far um, and actually killed um, another person. That is very rare. Um, And when that happened in history, um, you would have to ask the question, was there really a regenerated spirit in the first place? Um, But some scholars would say, you know, he's covering that as well with that harsh language, which I guess he is. It, It starts with that and it could escalate to that for sure. Other scholars believe that the word kill um, really should be better translated envy or that that hatred in your heart that Jesus says when you have hatred in your heart, it's like you murdered them already. It's that hatred towards another believer that anytime they succeed, it makes me angry. Anytime they get called upon to make a decision or anytime they have some leeway in the church, whatever it might be, it makes you angry. And I definitely think that's a part of it as well. That spirit is definitely what James covers here. But I think by James using the Greek word phonete, he covers a lot more than that as well. You see, these are types of fights that for centuries have been killing churches and individuals' spiritual lives. You see, these wars and fights in churches do several different things to believers. And so the answer here, James is saying, is murder, or we're going to say spiritual murder. When we bring strife into the church, some churchgoers will see that and become so bittered by that that they will eventually that they will eventually call that hypocrisy and they will never don the doors of a church building again. If you don't think that's true, I could probably name about five people that I'm related to that that's true. Because of fights in the church that they were not even a part of. But it was so disgusting to them that they say all churches are full of hypocrites, and I am not going to don the doors of a church building again. I think that's part of what James is talking about here. These wars and fightings can cause that. Let it never be named among us that we are a part of a type of war like that, whether it's through gossip, sarcasm, strife, that would cause another believer to not don the doors of church again. I think James covers that pretty clearly. That then spills over into their families. And I could name you instances with that as well. It doesn't just occur with that one believer that saw the fight and now is out of church. Well, now they're not even bringing up their children in church anymore. And do you see why James uses this language so harshly? 
Because these wars and fightings, they are killing spiritual progress. They are taking families out of church. They are causing children to be raised up in families where the parents hate church because of the hypocrisy and the warring and the fighting in them. It happens today and it's real. That's part of the killing that James is talking about. When people decide to gossip about or fight with someone, it could cause their response to be to leave. And not only does it have casualties outside of those who are fighting, but many times you see a party that's in the fight or in the war themselves leave the church. Finally, you have to realize that for centuries, this type of fighting has murdered souls. Pastor Joe, what do you mean by that? That's kind of an interesting way to put it. This is the type of wars that have kept people from accepting Christ as their Lord and Savior. Guys, let it never be named among us that we are the cause of spiritual murder. That's what James is saying here. These wars and these fightings, believers, bodies of believers, look what it's doing. It's causing families to never come back to church, to forsake their God. And it's causing those who need Christ the most to look at Christianity and look at the name of Christ and put hypocrisy with it. And without even donning the doors of, of, of church, now they're automatically putting up a wall to the gospel. You don't think that for centuries people have died without Christ because of church wars and fightings. It's a serious thing. And I want to challenge Eagle Heights Baptist Church that this not be named among us. If we want to grow closer to our God, we need to get rid of wars and fightings, gossip, strife, petty differences. There are casualties when it comes to war in the church. We need to be very careful about that. That is why God says in Psalms 133, verse 1, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Unity for the sake of the gospel. You know, there are many many things that the church should be striving for and many goals, and the gospel is definitely one of them. But the glory of God is also one of them, and drawing closer to God should be one of them. And as a body of believers, we should want to have the desire to be drawing closer to God. If we are going to draw closer to God, corporately and individually, we have to stop the wars and fightings. We're, we're kind of focusing on corporately in this aspect, but it affects individually as well. You don't think when you're involved in a war and fighting that it's not going to halt that drawing closer to God process? James is saying here, he's starting the chapter with saying, the biggest issues that are keeping the bodies of Christ and individual believers away from drawing closer to God, and James says one of them here is wars in the church that he knew of and heard of. The second one, the second issue that he's talking about uh, that James brings up here is the world. The world. This is a big one as well. Nothing will stop the process of drawing closer to God as much as the influence of the world will. And we're going to see why here in a second, because the origins are completely opposite. I mean, everything that originates from the world, and we're going to define that word world here in a second, because you have to define the word world 
or your standards are going to be all over the place when it comes to verses like, do not be conformed to the world, uh, and love not the world, and have not friendship with the world. And so we're going to find that in a second, but everything that originates from the world originates from those, the same root as those wars as well. Selfishness, lust. That's what the world uses to come up with what they, um, that, that originates with them. And now, when we talk about the word world, what it is not, all right, are things like a car or a specific foreign language or English, all right? Obviously, those are not things that James is saying here are the big issues keeping believers and churches away from drawing closer to God. He's talking about a worldly Influence. Before we define that, I want you to see here in verse 4 how James says this. He's very strong yet again. Spiritual adultery. You see the word adulterers and adulteresses there. The word is frequently um, used towards those who are faithless towards God and given to idols in the Bible. All right? Jesus used it in that kind of term as well. Um, you see that in the, in the start of verse 4 there. So adultery, those who are faithless towards God and given to idols, but also the one we probably are very well known with, are those who have broken their marriage vows, right? That's what an adulterer or adulteress would be. Someone who has broken their marriage vows. Did you know that there are men inside of fundamental Baptist churches, circles, who have been caught, some even arrested in the past, who were married and caught with prostitutes? It just happened in South Carolina almost a month ago. A music pastor and a Baptist college graduate. Did you know that there are women in the church breaking marriage vows and letting uh, men see what only their husbands should see? There are men and women having sexual relationships outside of marriage, and there are true stories of a spouse who out of nowhere leaves his or her marriage partner for another man or woman. And unfortunately, the day and age in which we live in, some even the same sex. It happens in churches. And it's easy for us today to scold and look down on that and say, how filthy and heartbreaking. I feel for the the party that was left out to dry in that. And yet that's the language that God uses for someone that is letting the world just infiltrate their life. These are the words used for Christ followers who continually invite the world in. How convicting. God looks at it as if you have broken a sacred vow. James says in verse 4, Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Christian, the world system is the enemy of God. And it's like being a traitor in war saying you serve this nation, but letting letting the enemy nation influence you and all of your decisions as a puppet. And that's what the world's doing to Christianity today. Christianity's greatest battle is with self, yes, but I think Satan has been very cunning. Nothing will hinder this glorious drawing more than worldly influences. So let's talk about this word, world, for a second. I want this to be very clear for all of us today. We're going to look at it individually and corporately. Because it's important. There are churches today that are letting the world uh, infiltrate their church. And some that would call themselves Baptists or fundamentalists. They are letting the world dictate how they run services and how they do things. And we're going to look at what this word world means. Because it's important. So as we look at this, um, 
you have to define this word because it will be what you base your standards on as a church, all right, or as an individual as well. You see, the progressive movements today, the CCM movements, uh, will define it as the following. And this Steve Miller, uh, about eight years ago, I think it was, uh, said this, and he was really the leading, um, you could call him scholar, uh, for the CCM movement. And um, he wrote books, and the CCM movement would probably point you to Steve Miller um, as someone who defended it the best. Um, and all these progressive movements. And Steve Miller says this about the word world. He says, Involving participation in attitude or activities of the world that God has labeled sin by teaching or by principle. You say, Pastor Joe, that sounds pretty accurate. Well, what is wrong with that? Well, it is accurate in a sense. The first thing that's wrong with it is that the progressive movement isn't applying what that definition is correctly. The second thing is it's not thorough enough for what God wants to say about this. And so the style, you have to realize when it comes to applying that definition, it's way off because they haven't considered or taken a look at the styles or the tactics and where they originated from. Everything that originates apart from God's principles originates from flesh, from self. And the dress behind these movements and the progressive movements and the style and the tactics, they originated from man apart from God. Now they're trying to bring them in to use as a tool for God. And we're going to look at, that should be obvious why that's an issue, but we're going to look at why it is here in a second. I think this is a better definition. And it's a long one, so bear with me here. John Macugina puts it this way. When we take Romans 12, 2, be not conformed to this world, and 1 John 2, 15, through 17, love not the world together, it is obviously forbidding the adoption of patterns of thinking, modes of behavior, attitudes, philosophies, outlooks, grids of evaluation, affections, gratifications, priorities, and value systems that are sinful and a manifestation of the world's perverted understanding of what is true, good, and brings lasting happiness. I think that's a little bit more thorough and you can apply it uh, uh, more strategically, especially corporately and individually. So let's look, uh, just continue on in that train of thought. Based on origins alone, we should realize we should not be accepting, okay? And also not trying to use it as a tool for the sake of the gospel. Christian families are being infiltrated by the world through phones, through movies, through songs, through friendships, and the list could go on and on. Can I tell you something about the world is that it will hinder you and your family drawing closer to God. If you are a dad, a father, a husband today, and your desire is that your family draws closer to God, you better check and see if the world is infiltrating your family. Because it is going to stall that process. It is going to reverse that process. And now, instead of God being the main influence on your children's lives, they're being influenced by the language that's on the television set, by the type of language that's in lyrics of songs, by the type of dress that they're viewing. That becomes the greater influence. It will stall and hinder this process. But then Christians will argue this, all right, on the progressive movement corporately. Well, didn't Paul say he became all things? 
to all men for the sake of the gospel. When progressive Christians use this to vouch for their progressive standards and new music and things that they're introducing to the church, the number one thing you should ask is, what in the world was the context when Paul said that? Paul says, all things to all men for the sake of the gospel. Well, the context, you can't take that phrase out of the context because you will Uh, it will lead to those progressive stances. It will lead to using worldly tactics to try to persuade people about the gospel. But that is definitely not what Paul is saying here. Paul is talking about his willingness to give up personal liberties for the sake of the gospel. Completely opposite. Like comfort or not eating unclean meat while he is sharing the gospel to someone who has an issue with that. That is what Paul is talking about. Not that he became everything that everyone around him loved so that they would be more receptive to the Bible. Absolutely not. It's for this reason I hope that Eagle Heights stands by our conservative views as long as we exist. And it's so contrary to say that Paul would say something like this. Because out of everybody, all the authors in the New Testament, Paul, out of everyone else, always let the Word of God have the power. He didn't want to sugarcoat it. He didn't say, oh, I need this tactic now to make God's word work. He knew that God's word would work. He knew that God would use it. Let me show you a graph uh, that helped me out understand this a little bit better. I don't know if this will help you or not. This is just how my brain worked a little bit. But maybe this will explain it um, just a, a little bit better here. So I've got two number lines, all right? When it comes to the world and what the progressive movement, which will be some churches, the bottom one, what it will look like, and then Paul's model, right? The negative numbers represent um, giving up uh, comfort or doing something because of a roadblock or a stumbling block. That is what Paul um, is focusing on here. So as we look through this, the the first um, number line is Paul and how he exemplifies what we should follow in reaching this world. And the negative numbers represent stumbling blocks or barriers to hearing the gospel. And zero represents neutral ground, so the Word of God on its own or um, just without having to... For instance, there have been missionaries in the past who have adopted the dress of that people group because um, that is where they are living. And the people group would be disgusted at them if they didn't do that. And that's, that's the type of thing Paul is talking about here. Then, then zero would be a neutral ground. And the positive numbers actually represent persuasive tactics originated from the world, not biblical principles, all right? So, this is what Paul's model is. He's saying, I will, do any, I will give up of any of my rights if it's going to help someone listen to the for sure Word of God that doesn't need anything added to it. I will give up my liberty if someone is going to look at the Word of God and accept that now, And I'm not going to be a stumbling block to them anymore. But this is what churches are doing today. They're saying, no, Paul was being persuasive. He was trying to be tactful and and persuade people to hear the gospel this way. It's complete opposite of what Paul is saying here when he says, I become all things for all men. This second number line represents a lot of Christians today. You see, without looking at context, they believe that Paul is trying to make standards that will give him a persuasive advantage to his hearers. This is clearly not Paul's intention. Paul always let God have the persuasive edge 
because God's word and truth has always worked on its own and always will. So this number line would represent what a lot of Christians are trying to do in churches today. Use the world's tactics to try to persuade or make the gospel look more inviting. The gospel is inviting on its own. We don't need persuasive tactics. So that's what the world would look like in a corporate setting. Can I challenge Eagle Heights Baptist Church that the moment we go to that second model, we are in danger of that process of drawing closer to God. Because we're letting the world infiltrate how we do things. Can I challenge you individually as well? This isn't just something corporate. That if you as an individual actually have the desire, teenager or college student or wife or husband or father or mother, to actually draw closer to God, you have to check and see if the world's influencing your life. You have to see if you're adopting it and allowing it in areas of your life. Because it will halt that process. Friendships with the world will hinder this glorious drawing. As a church, if Eagle Heights begins to use this method, we are in trouble. That second method. If you're a father or a husband, if you are accepting the world into your family freely, you better beware because it will hinder your family's closeness to God. An individual Christian, why are we adopting the world every day in our jokes, in our movies, in our music, in our language, in our actions, in our reactions? Why is it that so often we're letting the world tell us what is funny, what is pure, what is right, what is true? You see, James talks about this, and he goes on to say in a couple more verses to tell us why these two things hinder this glorious drawing. And it's clear in verse 6. So why are wars and the world something that hinders us drawing closer to God? Verse 6. God resisteth the proud. What was the root of wars and fightings? Self, pride. What is the root of a Christian individual that isn't willing to give up worldly influences? Well, it's an attitude of self, not being willing to give up entertainment or things that you enjoy. So why is it so important that we get this down? Because God resists the proud. There is a resistance there. And so when we're talking about a drawing closer to God, that is amazing. That is an experience that each one of us should want to have. The biggest thing that will get in the way of that is yourself. Is pride. Because the moment that you start desiring your own standards, you start desiring the world over God, and you start thinking that your petty differences are more important than another believer's, that is the moment that drawing closer to God is reversed. And now there is a resistance before God. It is so important as a body of believers and as individuals that we understand what James is talking about here. These two things cause a resistance. Resisting something means to purposely keep at a distance. Hey, that word resisting should be what we are doing to war and the world. But instead... I think if we were to look at it from God's point of view, He's using it to many believers today. It's a somber thing to think about. So what should you be doing with the world and Christians? You should be resisting it. Because pride and worldliness and strife, 
That is what we should be doing. So as we conclude this morning, we're going to look at the positive side to this tonight. Don't worry. There's more to this drawing closer to God. And once you get rid of some things, you've got to replace some things as well. But James starts with this for a reason. Because this process isn't going to start, isn't going to go anywhere until you get down the big issues that are keeping bodies of believers and individuals from drawing closer to God. And it's self. It's wars. It's the worldly influences in our life. So don't worry, we'll talk a little bit more about that tonight. But what do we do? This glorious drawing starts with verse 8. Look down at verse 8. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. James is saying it starts with believers that are going to say, I'm getting this right. No, I see the world influencing my family. I'm going to put a stop to that. I know I'm involved in some of this strife or some of this, this war in a church. I'm going to put a stop to that. For the sake of drawing closer to God as a body of believers and as an individual and for my family as well. Some Christians in here today, a personal walk with Christ seems foreign to you. And when people talk about how glorious it is, it seems fake. Let me tell you something, it's real. And when you experience it, you will be overwhelmed. That is what drawing close to God will do. But can I challenge you? I hope that today, teenagers, each one of you have a desire that says, no, my life is going to be about drawing closer to my God and my Savior. I hope that that's your desire today. I hope dads, husbands, that that is your desire for your family. That you would say, no, my family, my wife, my life is going to draw closer to God. I hope that wives and mothers would have that desire today. I hope that that's our desire as Eagle Heights Baptist Church, but can I tell you something, teenager, adult, church body, it's not going to happen when the world is influencing your life. Teenager, if you are serious about drawing closer to God, you're going to be serious about making some decisions to get the world out of your life. Get the world out of your movies, out of your songs, out of the things that you associate with. Dads, fathers, husbands, the same is true for you. If you are serious about drawing closer to God, James says you better be serious about cleansing these things out of your life. Because God's attitude towards it is resistance. It's not a drawing closer to him. And Eagle Heights, that needs to be our heart as well. If this exists at any area of our life, in our inner area, in the future, in our lives as a church body, we need to seriously take to prayer what we are doing. Let's experience together, as a body of believers and as an individual, a close walk with God that he uses and that he works through and answers prayer clearly and he clearly leads us with. Will you commit to do that with me this morning? Drawing closer to God. Before we get to that drawing process, we have to get rid of the resisting process. There are some big issues today in Christianity that are keeping the body of Christ and individual believers from drawing closer to God. What is it this morning that we need to get right? What is it this morning that we need to let go of for the sake of drawing closer to our God? I can tell you that if you start making those decisions, instead of a close walk with Christ being something that sounds fake and distant from you, you're going to start to experience it personally. 
and it's going to be an amazing experience. But you have to start with this resisting process. So what areas this morning can God use in your life to make commitments to so that when we leave here today, as we go into this week, we're starting the process of drawing closer to God. I hope that this morning each and every one of us aren't content with where we are at in our walk with Christ. I hope that we realize it's a daily thing that we should be pursuing. Let's pray.